ladies and gentlemen, we're just moments away. That's the biggest night in the history of this great organization. Are you ready? No, I said, are you ready? Hey, yo. Smart marks. What's a smart mark? A mark with a high IQ. Back in town, and we ain't in town to mess around. To be the man, you gotta beat the man, and I'm saying, woo, right here, I'm the man. That's hard time. Yeah. And what they're gonna do when Hulkamania in the largest part of the world runs wild on you? Rest in peace. You just made the list! It's heating up here! There's a slop drop! I'm the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. If you're the man, what the rock is cooking! Two, a slot drop. Hey everyone, this is David McBee with the Twin Lakes Sports Network. We're over at the Mid States Wrestling Gym. Of course, we got done just doing a podcast with the Space Cowboy Jason Jones. Uh, now we're actually getting to meet some of the uh, wrestlers. Of course, uh, the one and only. This is uh, Joey Corman from up in Missouri, down here uh, doing some training. Uh, yes, sir. I like to come down here and work out with these guys. Uh, Jason Jones runs a top-notch school here in Harrison, uh, Mid-States Wrestling. I like to come down here and just work out with these guys and uh, share some of my knowledge that I picked up over the last two decades. And of course, we're also joined by R.W. Hardy here. All right, how am I supposed to say right. This is the last great hope for wrestling, Joey Corman. Oh, the, all right, the last great hope for wrestling, Joey Corman. I was going to call you the loose cannon. Well, yeah, I've been called a lot worse, so that'll work. We can do that. That'll work. Loose cannon, last great hope for pro wrestling, or Joey Corman. Because I was like, Pillman must have learned all his stuff from you back when he was still alive. Because you're, you know, you're you're very entertaining on Facebook. Well, you know, when Pillman, uh, myself, the Dream Machine, and Bob Root were traveling around Florida. <laughs> Uh, I did show him a, a thing or two about the uh, wrestling business and about life, so to speak. Now, now I didn't get a chance to introduce you, uh, R.W. Hardy. Uh, you know, we were talking a little bit before we went on. You're actually from up in the Springfield area, but you're also down here training as well. Yeah, I live in Battlefield, Missouri, and then I come here on Tuesday nights to train. I've been coming here for two years now. Uh, I've been in the ring since last August, so for about seven months now, I've had about, at this point, about 20 matches. And now, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, you've been wrestling for a while. What kind of got you into wrestling? Uh, fan growing up, man. Uh, I grew up in Norfolk, Virginia, so I was uh, in Crockett territory, and I got to go back and forth to Texas, which the world-class stuff in uh, UWF coming out of Louisiana was awesome. So I was fortunate enough to be able to uh, be around when the territories were still thriving and seeing a lot of different wrestling from all over the country. And uh, I wasn't really a sports fan, but for some reason, something about wrestling just grabbed me. And one thing that gets asked to a lot of people is, you know, what got you into wrestling or, or what do you remember as a kid that got you in? And like a lot of people, my answer is, I don't know. I was always a, I was a small kid 
And I remember, I knew who Hulk Hogan was, but we only had one channel growing up on the farm. Wrestling wasn't on it. But I remember Hulk Hogan. I remember having the, the big rubber LJN figure, and I remember the cartoon, but I can't remember what specifically gravitated me towards it. But I was born in 1982, so I was like the perfect demograph that Hulkamania was built off of because WrestleMania was about 85, and then the wrestling boom was at the end of the 80s. So before I knew it, I was just infatuated with this. And every time my mom would go grocery shopping, my baby babysitter was the magazine rack at the grocery aisle and at that point there was about five different magazines that were wrestling to choose from so I was reading the magazines if I went into town at my grandma's she had cable so I might catch an episode of you know superstars on tv and everything and then it just built from there and then I started writing pay-per-views from the video store back in the old VHS days and everything and at that point I've done rented everything on the shelf you know after a year or two and, and I was fanatical about it and I just grew up into it. So we got a WWF guy that was inspired. You were inspired more by the Crockett era. Uh, growing up, you know, I know you've said Hogan he was someone who really got you into, you know, watching wrestling. Uh, who was the wrestler that really uh, inspired you growing up? Uh, the first guy that really grabbed my attention was Kabuki. And then after that, I started leaning more towards Ric Flair and the Horseman. And I was always more of a fan of that side of the track, so to speak. Those guys seem more uh, flamboyant and just a little more entertaining, so to speak. Uh, so, so you're a fan of heels? Really, yeah, pretty much. And then, uh, of course, there were the guys that just had something about me, you know, that, that grabbed you, like Bruiser Brody, Abdullah the Butcher. Uh, I mean, that's later on guys like the Ultimate Warrior and stuff. There's just something about them that, like, sucked you in, that it factor that everyone talks about that you can't explain. You have it or you don't. So, yeah. One thing as far as your favorite wrestler that I've learned is the older you get, that's what can kind of change you. You know, I said, you know, as a little kid, it was Hulk Hogan, got a little bit older, and I'm like, well, I like Randy Savage got a little bit older and I'm like, you know, I like these these guys that are bad and they're tough and I became like this massive ravishing Rick Rude fan which gravitated me towards the hills and the model Rick Martel and then, you know, tag team wrestling in, in the early 90s was huge. You had guys like Demolition and the Legion of Doom and these were these bad guys that were just muscular and they were they were brawlers and they were fighters. And that appealed to me. Then, naturally, he mentioned Ric Flair. What teenage guy that likes to go out and party and get girls wouldn't love Ric Flair? You know, that, that's the epitome of what every guy really wants to be, whether they admit it or not. Well, every, every woman wanted him. Every man wanted to be him. You know, that's Nate. But what's it like, you know, you guys have been, you know, wrestling for a bit. Uh, when you're training and going through all this training, what, what's stuff that you guys kind of work on when you're in here training? A lot of the stuff is basically building your um, cardio. Man, there's a difference between uh, being in cardiovascular shape and being in ring shape. Uh, there's a big, big difference. There's a lot of guys that can go out and run a mile or run five miles or whatnot, but you get them in the ring for 10 minutes and, you know, they're gassed and they can't perform, and that's the thing. That's what we generally work on here, or me, myself, I get in here and I try to work on being ring shape and timing, um, you know, little things that uh, if you're out of the ring for a while, you'll start to get rusty on these little bitty things that people tend to overlook that are some of the most important parts of wrestling and the fundamental stuff that everything's built on. They're too flashy. They're doing all this other, you know, there's filler but we need these fundamentals to be solid, and that's what we're trying to do here at Mid-States Wrestling. We're trying to get the kids into the fundamental part of wrestling, and then we'll branch them out into the flippity-flop stuff that you know everybody's entertained by and wants to do. Um, it says wrestling still. It has always said wrestling, so you can always go back to wrestling, and you won't be wrong. Well, I noticed while you guys, while we're doing the interview, I actually could kind of hear you guys were talking about selling a little bit over there, uh, you know, using s some ring psychology. Kind of tell us, you know, what to you, what is ring psychology? 
ring psychology is ultimately kind of putting yourself in that situation and understanding why we are doing what we are doing. So if you get slammed, you just got slammed, now apply that to real life. Well, what would you do? Naturally, it hurts, right? You're going to hold your head. You're going to hold your back. The guy that did it to you, he just got a big move over on you. He should be happy. He should be ready to go in for the kill. It's kind of understanding the business of... Uh, you could have answered it. Here, hang on. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that could be WWE call. Jason, give me the phone. <laughs> but I know it's Joey. You were talking about selling. You know, you guys were talking about psychology and selling too. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the most overlooked. Uh, so I gave you a minute so you could answer it. It's one of the most overlooked fundamentals of professional wrestling. There's a story and there's a reason that you do things. Um, just like any good movie, they have, you know, there's story arcs and things that grab your attention and things that there's lulls in the action. There's time to build drama. And that's what the art of wrestling is, the psychology and the selling. Without that, you really don't have a story. You really just have a collection of, the bell rings, you have a collection of moves, and then the bell rings again. So what? I've had a, a veteran that wrestled around Memphis the majority of his life, and he actually was part of a OVW, which was a WWE Developmental Territory, and Power Pro Wrestling, which was a WWE Developmental Territory, Derek King. And he even told me, he's like, the, the match and the moves is 100% sec, secondary. I don't care about that. Tell me a story. If you do that, then you're on the right track. So you can come here and you can drill your moves because you have to have that. And you can learn your stuff and you have to have that. And you can get into shape. All that you have to have before you even belong in the ring. But then once you're there, now it's time to direct a story between you and another guy or a few people, depending on the type of match and everything. Tell the story to the fans and leave them wanting more whenever it's all said and done. And give them a definitive ending. They might not like the ending. Sometimes the bad guys win, right? but at least give them a definitive ending to the story. I know somebody said sometimes the bad guy wins. You had a little smile on that. Well, you know, I mean, like we all like to live in fairy tale land, but uh, you have to live in reality sometimes. Sometimes the bad guys win. And it seems like most of the time that's what happens these days. But, you know, I'm just going along with the story. One, one thing that's uh, an ever-constant in wrestling is, you know, good things can happen to good people. But sometimes bad things happen to good people, and sometimes good things happen to bad people. And that's just something in wrestling you just have to accept as the reality of the story. Well, that's why we love the world of professional wrestling and really enjoyed watching you guys work out and the psychology you were teaching and talking about selling and getting back to basics and looking forward to watching you guys at you know an MSW event soon or, or some event out there. And definitely going to follow you on Facebook. I'll tell you, you know, if you want to know opinions on, on everything, just uh, follow Joey Corman. So. Hey, I'm on Twitter. That's at R.W. Hardy, H-A-R-T-Y. Thanks a lot. Hey, Goodbye and good night.